Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, making the National Secure Data Service a reality. This interview you'll hear in a moment was recorded before President Joe Biden signed the Chips and Science Act on August 9th. The bill authorizes the creation of a National Secure Data Service. Here to talk about it is Nancy Potok, former U.S. Chief Statistician, now a board member of the Data Foundation. Nancy, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for asking me to be here. And the focus of this conversation is really going to be some really in-depth research that you and your colleague Nick Hart did on the idea of a national security data service that is slowly but surely coming into focus here. How has this idea come into focus and how did this idea take form in the first place? I'll go back a little bit. I was a commissioner on the Evidence-Based Policymaking Commission and Nick was the policy director. And this was kind of central to the recommendations of the Evidence-Based Policymaking Commission. Because in order to produce high quality evidence from data and bring in more data from research and from the federal statistical system and federal programs, there needed to be a place where you could get more depth and breadth and where you could get secure access. And so the commission came up with a national secure data service needed to be established. There were over 20 recommendations from the commission, and 11 of them were enacted into law in the Foundation of Evidence-Based Policymaking Act of 2018. The National Secure Data Service was not one that immediately got enacted into law, but Congress thought it was an idea worth pursuing and set up an advisory committee to do a two-year study on what would that really consist of? What would it look like? How would you implement it? So Nick and I decided that we would really do an in-depth look into this because we were a little more agile in terms of being able to do a study, to look at alternatives, to come up with ideas and recommendations that the advisory committee could then consider and that Congress could consider. If you've ever worked with the federal advisory committee, you know it can be kind of a bulky structure and it's a lot of people and it's kind of slow and this was going to be a two-year effort. So we just jumped in and said, maybe we can help inform this effort since we've been working on it all along. And that's kind of how we came to be involved in it, to take this kernel of an idea that Congress was intrigued with that came from the Evidence Commission and say, what does that really mean? What does it look like? How would it work? How would it operate? What does the governance structure look like? So we put out a paper that was kind of an initial look at this. And then more recently, a few weeks ago, we did a second follow-up paper that was a more in-depth look. Multiple streams of effort here, it seems. To tie it back to the advisory committee here, can you give me a better sense of the advisory committee on data for evidence buildings, current state of how they're looking at these things? I know you said that it can be a slow moving process here, but what's the current state of play? I will tell you with the caveat that this is an outsider's view. Had I stayed as the chief statistician of the U.S., I would have been chairing the committee because that's what the law does. It sets up the chief statistician as the chair of this committee. But I left government 
I have no affiliation with the committee at all. But Nick, my co-author, is on the committee. It's a public committee. It's a federal advisory committee. So all of the meetings are public and I have been following it. So I just wanted to caveat that anything I say is as a member of the public, not with any kind of insider's view. What the committee has been doing, it has a, a two-year time frame. So at the end of year one, it was required by law to submit a report to Congress, which it did. And it, it affirmed the general principles for a national secure data service. Personally, I was very happy to see what was in that first year report because it did actually follow very closely with some of the things that Nick and I had put out in the first paper in terms of what are the overall functions of a national secure data service, what is kind of an overall conceptual framework for it. Our paper went farther than what the advisory committee put out. It was a much more general statement. It identified the issues that the advisory committee would take up in year two. Now they're in year two. The second and final report is due out, I say to Congress, but the law actually says it's recommendations to the director of OMB. So technically it's a report to the director of OMB, but Congress of course is very interested in it and it will go to both places. And it should pick up where the other report, the first year report left off and get very specific about functions, privacy protections, governance structure, and how you would actually go about getting this started. Let's maybe unpack why this National Secure Data Service would be a good idea in the first place and why the commission thought it would be a good idea to have this as part of the federal government. Here's the vision. And I, I, if the vision gets realized, there will be tremendous value to the American public. Right now, we have a very splintered federal data infrastructure. So every agency kind of does their own thing. And within each agency, the bureaus often are not coordinating data. I also, when I was chief statistician, worked on the federal data strategy. My main co-leader of that was the federal CIO. And we put out a federal data strategy under the auspices of OMB. And one of the things that was very important as part of that strategy was to really take advantage of the wealth of data that the federal government has been collecting, both through the federal statistical system and, and some of the things that people are most familiar with, like the census, um, like education surveys, like health surveys, all of those things, the economic indicators, that's all part of the federal statistical system. But there's a wealth of data that lies in administrative records that is collected by the federal government from people who are participating in federal programs in some way. My background, one of the things that I did before I was chief statistician was I was deputy director of the Census Bureau. Census Bureau made great use of collecting data from not only from the public, but from other agencies to really supplement and understand and get a much better depth of data to put together important information about the people in the economy. So linking these data sets is really critical. But you can't just willy-nilly sort of set up like a giant data warehouse and throw all federal data in there. There's privacy issues, there's security issues, there's ethical issues. The National Secure Data Service is a place 
where you can selectively with an ethical, secure, privacy protected framework, come up with kind of the most important questions of the day that you would need to answer from a public policy standpoint to understand our programs working effectively. Are they really helping the public? Right now, the federal government is very good at shoveling money out the door. And I think we saw this during the pandemic. Congress rightfully said, but how do we know we're achieving what we want to achieve? How do we know we're actually changing anything? You know, if we're going to put all this money out there for these programs, we need some evidence that it's working. And if it's not working, what does work? So the National Secure Data Service was really envisioned as a place where you could pull in the data from these different sources, which does not happen organically in the federal government right now. There's so many barriers to doing that. And then it would provide this secure access both to researchers in the federal government, to people administering programs, to outside researchers, to really build collaborative communities to understand whether federal policies are working or not, and then feed that back into the policymaking mechanisms at OMB, at agencies, and for Congress. That's the vision. There's many, many barriers to sharing data across the federal government. There's one point about this that is essential that I think is really important to make. When the evidence commission envisioned this in the way that Congress has continued to envision this, it's considered a statistical activity to do this evidence building. Why is this important? Because a statistical activity is about collecting and using information about aggregated groups, not individuals. So even if you pulled information from the Department of Justice, or even if tax records were involved, you're always, one, protecting the privacy of individuals, de-identifying the data, making sure before anything is released that identities are protected and people shouldn't be able to be re-identified. But two, it's a very powerful thing to link data together and to really understand, especially if you're going to do longitudinal data sets and follow things over time um, and link maybe individual records from different agencies. That's a very scary thought. The statistical protections say these can't be used for law enforcement They can't be used to go against an individual. They can't be used to bump somebody off a program, you know, like find welfare cheaters or any of those things. You cannot use it for that. You can only use it to aggregate it and do sort of statistical analyses with it. And I don't want that point to be lost because I know that, you know, people don't trust government and there's a lot of fear out there. And these protections are at the heart of putting a national secure data service together. We're speaking with Nancy Potok, former U.S. chief statistician. She's now a member of the board of the Data Foundation. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. Back to All About Data, we're speaking with Nancy Potok, former U.S. Chief Statistician, now a board member of the Data Foundation. You know, of course, this is an idea, a principle, the National Secure Data Service that doesn't exist yet. And so there are multiple ideas of how it might look in actuality. What agency or agencies within the federal government would be likely candidates for this National Secure Data Service to exist within? 
I think that the evidence commission was pretty clear in their report that because these would be statistical activities, that the National Secure Data Service needed to operate like a statistical agency in that it had to be able to be covered by all the statutory protections that statistical agencies have. So you can't just sort of put it anywhere. The commission looked at several options and ended up saying, well, maybe because the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Economic Analysis and some other data agencies are all in the Department of Commerce, this could be a new independent agency or bureau within the Department of Commerce. And that seemed like a pretty good idea. I know I went along with it when I was a commissioner, but the report of the commission came out in 2017. And if you were following what was happening in the world of data and statistics, you know that there was a lot of political interference in the 2020 census. And a lot of that was coming from the leadership at the Commerce Department. And so when Nick and I wrote our first paper in thinking about where should this be located, it had become obvious that norms could be broken, that things that we always took for granted, like that the Census Bureau couldn't be politically tampered with. And unfortunately, those efforts were unsuccessful. But it gave us a lot of pause in terms of, do you really want to put something as sensitive and important as this in the jurisdiction of one agency that who knows who the next Secretary of Commerce is going to be. We really gave it a lot of thought in terms of placement in the federal government. You know, many countries have a central statistical bureau that's very independent, but the U.S. doesn't have that. We have a very decentralized system. And so we looked at several alternatives And in our first paper, we compared these alternatives of where you might want to locate this. And based on an analysis of all the options, we came up with the National Science Foundation as a scientific agency that has a measure of independence from political influence that would probably be a good place to put something that would be primarily research-oriented and evidence-building oriented, and you'd want to bring in the outside scientific community who would want access to the data and have important research to do. But we didn't think that just the National Science Foundation per se was sufficient because it's statistical, but the National Science Foundation has one of the 13 designated federal statistical agencies in it, the National Center for Science and Engineering Statistics. So we recommended that within the National Science Foundation, that the National Secure Data Service be under the auspices of its official statistical agency there. Right up with there in terms of where this would live within the federal government, I think you and Nick outline a couple of different governance models for the National Secure Data Service in terms of its day-to-day operations and how it runs. Can you maybe outline some of those for me? Sure. We initially, in the first paper, had said we think this needs to be run by the National Center for Science and Engineering Statistics at NSF. But in terms of the day-to-day operations, we think that there are some good models to contract this out with more of a federal-private partnership. And there were several reasons for that. One was, you know, the federal government is having a very difficult time recruiting people 
and particularly recruiting people who are doing work on the cutting edge of data science and computer science and technology. And you want a facility like this to really have the most advanced privacy protections, to really understand data science and working with data, linking data sets. We thought, you know, if we want it to be agile, we want something that's going to be able to keep advancing. Putting it as a federal agency under the civil service, when we can see that agencies are really struggling in this area is probably not the best idea. So if it can be contracted out, contractors can be more competitive on their salaries. They're faster to hire. They can bring in academics. They can build the kinds of partnerships more rapidly than a just a straight federal agency could do. That was what we recommended in the first report. In the second report, we looked at various options for governance that would looked at different models. So one of the areas that we turned to for a lot of real world experience was the national labs. So the Department of Energy has a lot of national labs. NASA has national labs. NSF has national labs as well. And so we looked at, well, how are those structured and what are the governance models for those? Several of them are what's called a FFRDC. It's an R&D facility like Los Alamos. The federal government actually has a contract with them, but it's a really, it's more of an interactive partnership and the contractor entity is a nonprofit. We look towards those. There were actually three models in total that we looked at. One was, could this be government-owned and government-operated? So, for example, the Department of Transportation has a research and development lab that's completely government-owned. So we looked at that structure and how that's governed. We looked at this model of, um, well, what if the money wasn't a contract, it was a grant to an entity to be the central coordinating mechanism of this. So could it be sort of a a grant entity, like at a university or a standalone or something like that, that gets a grant from the federal government and carries out these functions? Or what would the governance look like if it was an FFRDC or if it was government-owned contractor operated? So in the second paper, we lay out the different governance structures and I think what's important here are the factors that you would want to consider in this. To continue along with that train of thought here, because this is a tall order, the National Security Data Service, you know, managing that ease of access for the research community, while at the same time upholding that very high standard for statistical data. So how would such a service manage that rather tricky balance? I think that the key is having a lot of accountability and transparency. So one of the things that we looked at in the governance structure was how do we have a federal entity where the outside stakeholder and user community has real voice? One reason, aside from kind of the hiring, recruiting, and retention issue um, that is difficult when you just have a government agency running something is the government agency doesn't actually have to be very responsive. There's a lot of hubris involved. And, you know, it's sort of like, we're the government, give us your data, and we'll decide what's useful and what's not. And thank you very much. And if you want to, you know, there's some advisory committees out there, but it's really 
you know, very much government directed. And I have seen agencies pretty much deflect important considerations from the public, where the public feels like they're not being heard. So in something like this, where it's public policy, and it could affect a lot of programs, you know, food and nutrition programs, you know, women, infants and children's health, social security, all kinds of big programs that really need more evidence to understand how they're working, unemployment even. So they're very important stakeholders that need to be heard. And so the governance structure really has to have oversight, a board of directors that can include these outside parties in the board of directors who have a real voice, not just an advisory committee on the side where the agency can say, thank you very much for your recommendations. We'll talk to you in a year. So the structure that we were recommending then is this should be a lot of policy steering coming from the federal government, from the Interagency Council on Statistical Policy, from the chief statistician, from others who have an interest in this, maybe the chief data officers, the privacy people. That needs to be kind of a federal steering committee to make sure that all the boxes are checked for the federal government. But in terms of an ethical framework and how these data are being used, the voice of the community and people whose data it is need to be heard. And so if you can have a contract that's well-written, what we saw in the models out there was that the contractors can set up an outside board of directors that includes non-federal people who can have a real voice in things. And also for scientific and research and advisory direction. And we saw a lot of models. And so we, the paper actually comes up with a recommended model that sets up these outside boards to the contractor who have actual real responsibilities and not just a voice out there that an agency may or may not listen to. Assuming that this momentum goes forward the way that it has been and that we do see a national security data service come into fruition, what are some of those communities that could help stand up a national security data service and get it up and running and at full maturity if such a thing does come into focus? The states have a lot of valuable data and they have all the education data. They've got unemployment insurance data. Those two things are sort of like the holy grail of data that researchers want. And it's in 50 different states covered by 50 different statutes, um, at least. And there's a history of some mistrust between the states and the federal government when it comes to the states reporting data to the federal government. And there's a lot of redundancy because every agency is collecting data for its programs that are state-run block grants, the Medicare and Medicaid is, is given out by the states. So the first thing that has to happen is really the states have to understand. There has to be some trust building between the federal government and the states so that the states see something in it for them to participate and have a real voice in this so that they'll be willing to bring their data to the table and they get something out of it. It's not all one way. Let's, you know, we're required to send this to the federal government, but they don't get anything in return. That's one key group that really has to be positively engaged with this. Another group is the academic research community. They do so much research. They have to really get access 
you know, not just lip service that they're going to get access, but real access. There are ways for researchers to access federal data now. It's a very splintered kind of system, and there's a lot of bottlenecks that happen in terms of how they can get access to the data. And one of the important things here is to build a business process that can expedite approvals, has an appeals process, and really helps researchers understand. I mean, they're they're working on timeframes, they get grants, they have deadlines. They can't sort of wait three years to get an approval for something. If they're not going to get it, they should know right away as well. And the thing is, the federal statistical system has been doing a lot of work over the last couple of years to expedite this, to get access to data from statistical agencies. But the third group here, which is also really critical outside of the federal statistical agencies are the program agencies. If you're running Medicare, you're not a statistical agency, but you have very valuable data. Same thing with a lot of the social safety net programs. You have program administrators, but they're not statistical agencies. So researchers need to be able to work with those agencies as well as with the federal statistical agencies. It's a larger federal community. And even though it's a statistical activity, a lot of the data is not coming from statistical agencies. So I think that's the big challenge is how do you bring in the states, bring in the academic researchers, get the non-statistical federal agencies that have very valuable data sets, and then the federal statistical agencies all in the mix together. That was Nancy Potok, former U.S. chief statistician, now a board member at the Data Foundation. You can find the full interview and transcript on federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Jory Heckman, and thanks for listening to this episode of All About Data. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. We'll be right back.